Welcome to Spun on Safety, the program designed for safety professionals. Spot on Safety is brought to you by iWorkWise, providing safety knowledge when you need it. For more information about iWorkWise, go to iWorkWise.com. Welcome to Spot on Safety, Episode 6, Making Emergency Notifications, with your hosts, Amy Does and Dan Smiley. Good morning, Amy. Morning, Dan. You know, I cannot believe we're into the new year. It goes by fast, the older you get. Yeah, it just It goes faster. You know, I was just at a Hauswopper class where there was a lot of discussion that revolved around making the required federal and state notifications after a spill release. And this class was specifically about anhydrous ammonia, but I encounter this when we deal with people working with oil spills as well. Uh, I don't know why it's so misunderstood, but I thought maybe we could talk about that today. Sounds great. You know, one of the things that I notice all the time when I'm looking at uh, you know OSHA citations is that People decided to call the National Response Center after release five, six, eight, ten, twelve hours after the release took place. And federal requirements say that you will make immediate notifications to the National Response Center. So, so if we could start off with the federal regulations, what is the requirement for notifying the National Response Center and what does immediate mean? The federal, re the federal requirement for notifications came in in 1980 with the uh, Conf Comprehensive Environmental Resource Conservation and, Li er, and Liability Act, um, basically CERCLA. And, and what it said is if you, uh, they developed a list of 700 chemicals, and if you uh, released more than a, a threshold quantity of that material, um, that you'd have to report it to the National Response Center, which was also set up at that time. So if you have a chemical on that list of 700, um, then you should have a plan to call the National Response Center um, when you have a release. Um, in 1986, we got some additional notification requirements, and it was in, as a result, it was part of SARA. Um, they call it EPCRA, or the Emergency Planning Community Right to Know Act, um, and that added 356 substances, that, and it also added a requirement that you have to report your, lease, your releases to the State Emergency Response Commission and the Local Emergency Planning Committee um, immediately. So the NRC uh, requirement's been around a little longer, and you have to re report if you have a leak over a certain threshold, and, uh, and then you have also the state and local agencies that you have to report to. The definition of emerge immediately uh, has been interpreted by EPA to mean within 15 minutes of ensuring life and safety. So that's pretty quick. You have to be fairly organized. Maybe you need wallet cards or you need a plan that's located in an accessible area. They don't care where your plan is or what trouble you had getting to it. Those are excuses. Um, you have to make the call within 15 minutes of ensuring life and safety, and you have to make it it's required by EPA and enforced by EPA that you make those calls quickly um, and that you make them to all three of those parties. I think it's important to recognize that 
the requirement is that you report, it's not that you have every conceivable piece of information available to you. You know, the National Response Center says that you, know, you report to them and give them as much information as you have available at the time. And you can follow up with additional information at a later time. But getting that report in, that initial report, is just so important. But I think people get bogged down with the idea that they have to be able to answer every single question that is on the report sheet that you can download from the National Response Center. And some of this information they simply don't know at the time. You know, how much was released? Well, we don't know, right? How much was, if it's an oil spill or some other chemical spill, you know, well, you know, how much went in the water? Well, at this point, we don't know. Do you hold off on making a report to get that information? You, Absolutely you not. You can't. No, you can't. You can't. You have to make the call if you think you're going to be over the threshold quantity. If you think it's possible you're going to be over, um, it's a, a good rule to make the call. And in, in oil spills, it goes beyond that. Now, the, the you were talking about the regulations for all these chemical substances that are regulated by the EPA, but under the Oil Pollution Act of 1990, which, if I'm not mistaken, was an amendment to the Clean Water Act, it says that you have to report any quantity of petroleum products that go into the navigable waters of the United States or a substantial threat of such release. So if a vessel has run aground and no oil has come out of the tanks, you're required to make a report. If you've spilled oil on deck and it hasn't yet gone over the side, but it might, you're required to make a report, even though it hasn't actually gone in the water. And I think that's also something that people often overlook and they find that, you know, 12 hours after having gone aground, finally the hull has cracked and oil is pouring out of their fuel tanks and now they failed to report a substantial threat of release even though they make a timely notification once they realize the oil's in the water. Well, and this is where all the fines are. You know, the fines are biggest, the jail time is longest for failure to report. It, it, the, the fines are so substantial that it makes no sense whatsoever to not really tighten up this area in, in a facility response plan or in a process safety management plan or in a uh, vessel response plan or a non-tank vessel response plan or a SOPEP, you, it, the, uh, the penalties are incredibly steep. We've seen fines coming out of Region 10 in 2008 that are fifty dollars to $100,000 because people made the calls, but they made it four hours late. So instead of making it within 15 minutes, they made it within four hours. Well, most people think, well, that's a pretty reasonable amount of time. They kind of figured out what was going on, and then they made the call. Well, apparently it wasn't good enough because it, the penalties were very substantial. And that's on the federal side. That doesn't even begin to get into what the states have to say about it. No, and the states can have their own rules. So all, all of the things that we've been talking about so far are federal rules. So notifying the National Response Center is clearly a federal rule, but don't be confused. Notifying the State Emergency Response Commission, the SERC, and notifying the Local Emergency Planning Committee, the LEPC, those are also federal rules. So all three of those notifications are required by federal laws, and indeed they go back to congressional acts. So those are federal requirements. States can have their own additional requirements. Um, for instance, in the state of Alaska, the rule is to report any release of ammonia. 
So the threshold, the EPA threshold for repeating, for reporting to the National Response Center, the CERC, and the LAPC is 100 pounds, 100 pounds of ammonia. If you release more than 100 pounds at or more than 100 pounds, then you have to report. Well, in the state of Alaska, they want the Department of Environmental Conservation wants to know of any release. So in addition to the three state or the three federal notifications, a state can also have their own thresholds that are usually much lower. Does the not in the world of oil spill response, although the local Coast Guard sector likes to get a, a report, the National Response Center call fulfills your obligation to make federal notifications. But it sounds like for other chemical releases regulated by the EPA, that's no longer the case. Is that what is the current federal call-out list look like? Well, the, the federal, um, even though you're notifying the State Emergency Response Commission, those were set up under federal law. And even though you're notifying the Local Emergency Planning Committee, those were set up under federal law. They were set up in 1986. So the National Response Center was set up in 1980, a little bit earlier, and that's required under federal law. So technically all of those things are enforceable by federal law, and they're enforced by the Environmental Protection Agency. Does the National Response Center not make some of those notifications for you? For instance, if I call the National Response Center because I had an oil spill into navigable waters of the United States, uh, they look at where that spill took place. They call the, the local Coast Guard. It goes into their computer system. The local federal a federal on-scene coordinator who, in the case of oil spill responses, is the local captain of the port, gets notified. And I've met all of my federal obligations for reporting under the Oil Pollution Act of 1990. But that doesn't sound like it's necessarily the case for EPA. Uh, for, for EPA, they're given the enforcement authority. And there's three points of notification that are required, not just the one. So... Uh, with any release of petroleum, it's, it falls a little bit under a different thing with, with OPA 90. But for for releases of chemicals, um, where they have the threshold amounts listed in the EPA list of lists, which is a really important document to see all kinds of reporting notifications, um, for those chemicals, you've got the three-point reporting um, that's required under federal law and enforced by a federal agency. Can you take us... I mean, you were just on the phone a, a little while ago with a, a customer who had uh, a small ammonia release, and this was a question that had, had come up. Can you take us through the notification process? Here I am. I'm standing in my uh, refrigeration facility plant. I'm using anhydrous ammonia as uh, the refrigerant, and I've had a release. I don't know how much it is at this point. You know, maybe it's uh, 100 pounds. Maybe it's not 100 pounds. I don't know. I had to evacuate some of my people, though, and I'm, I'm getting ready to start making the calls. Can you walk me through that? Um, the, the requirement when the, when the clock starts ticking is once you ensure life and safety. So if you have a release and the release could be dangerous to people in the area who are unprotected, then you need to evacuate whatever areas might be contaminated and make sure everyone's safe and accounted for. As soon as you do that, the clock starts ticking. And the interpretation is, is from that point on, you have 15 minutes in which to make your notification, your notifications, your federal notifications. So 
Um, you have to have a, probably a wallet card or your emergency response plan handy, and it might not be the responders. It probably is a good idea if it isn't the people who are dealing with the actual leak and trying to figure out you know, what's going on, how much is leaked, and, and how, how is it going to be responded to. Um, it's probably better if it's someone else who can make the required notifications. And it's simple. You just have a call-out list. And you go down your call-out list. You have your National Response Center number, which is available on the Internet from the National Response Center. Um, you have your state emergency planning committee, which you can find on EPA's website for your area, um, and also the local emergency planning committee number. It's often... Uh, the LEPCs are often hooked up with the fire department, so sometimes a call to the fire department will satisfy your requirement to notify the LEPC, but that isn't true all of, all of the time. Um, the other thing you have to worry about is in your state, are there any state environmental rules that require that you make the notification? Now, the federal notifications, at least for anhydrous ammonia, the threshold quantity is 100 pounds. So if your leak is clearly going to be less than 100 pounds, you don't have to make those federal notifications. You just have to be aware if there are any state laws you need to follow or you have to notify any state environmental agencies um, under those laws. So it, it's a good idea to try to establish how much has, has been released or what it's likely to add up to be um, fairly quickly. And if it's clearly under... That, that saves you some phone calling and some worries. It's, it's a small release. Um, if you're not sure, it's better to make the phone calls because you only have 15 minutes. And if it turns out later to be 100 pounds or over that threshold quantity, you could be going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the EPA. Um, if it's a leak over 100 pounds, you're supposed to, supposed to uh, make those notifications within 15 minutes so you don't have much time to think about it. So in general, it's it's better to err on the side of caution and report those releases. Um, and I've, I've seen some things come out, particularly of Region 10, uh, where they haven't been very understanding about, you know, why you were trying to figure it out and why it took you so long to make the call. They just look at, was it 100 pounds or not? And if the answer is yes, and it's been more than 15 minutes, you're late. One of the things that I try to point out, especially when I'm doing trading with uh, vessel captains and maritime companies, is that these notifications can take a while. And although people generally say, you know, it's the captain's responsibility to make the initial calls, uh, you know, he's got bigger fish to fry. And most of the information that's going to be reported to the National Response Center is pretty boilerplate stuff company name, vessel name, vessel um, official number, all things that can be pre-written out on a report form that's in the front cover of your vessel response plan. And the same thing is true for facilities. What is the physical address of the facility? What is the phone number? Who are the contact people? Then with this piece of paper in hand, Anyone can sit on hold with the National Response Center waiting to give a report because the person who's going to be taking the report isn't some Coast Guard admiral or captain of the port. It's a clerk on the end of a phone who's doing data entry into a computer. So I ask people all the time, please take the time to fill out pertinent company information on their report form so that you can simply jot down 
the information that's specific to the incident. Hey, we've spilled diesel fuel. We've spilled crude oil. We've released um, anhydrous ammonia. We have um, some victims of the release. We have none, or we don't know. The thing that I run into all the time is that people are unwilling to simply say, at this point, I don't know. And then when we get in and get on the phone and get on to the National Response Center, they're really surprised at how easy it is. The, these people are not confrontational. You're just, they're doing their job. You're doing your job. They're all trying to work together towards the same goal. So let's make it as easy on ourselves as possible and, you know, train the cook to make this call. Yeah, it is a pretty straightforward call. I find it helpful if the person can pronounce anhydrous ammonia or, or those kinds of things. I mean, um, and you certainly wouldn't want somebody who's very excitable to be the person making the call and any relation make it sound incredibly life-threatening, like the whole community is in jeopardy. But, yeah, it's it's not incredibly difficult. The, the, there's a lot of company-specific information that a person could fill in ahead of time, and the and the person on the other end of the line, the duty officer or the the clerk who's at the National Response Center is going down the same list. So you have access to that list. It's published on the web, the National Response Center's website. There's no reason not to get comfortable with it early and kind of have that as part of your pre-planning. Um, and then the uh, specific things they'll ask you about that release, you know, weather conditions, um, how much you think you've released, uh, and one of the most important questions, and this one I think is really important to get right, is, is the leak controlled or secured or is it unsecured? I mean, if you put yourself in the person's shoes, they have the phone numbers of all the agencies in the federal government. It's a contact point where they are, they can send in resources to help you. So clearly, if, if you were in that position, you'd want to establish rather quickly, does this person need help? Do they have an uncontrolled and ongoing chemical release spewing into their community? Or is it a, a small thing that's already been isolated and controlled and now is just being ventilated or, or something like that? So I think that line is fairly important, and people get nervous with the 100 pounds if I'm over or not over. But what you should get nervous about, is it controlled and controllable, or is it uncontrolled and uncontrollable? Those, you know, clearly by putting yourself in the other person's shoes, you can see that that would be a critical uh question that would be something they'd want to establish rather quickly is this going to be a big deal and do they need to start making a lot of phone calls or is it something that you, you just had a release and you're just reporting it yeah for sure now if you're talking about you know somewhere between zero and 100 pounds of ammonia you're talking about basically a nuisance release inside of a facility maybe you have some inhalation uh um first aid from some of your workers, but that's different from, I'm going to dump 60,000 pounds of ammonia into a residential neighborhood where there is going to be mass casualty and trauma. And we need to mobilize every fire department, the National Guard, anybody who can do CPR within a 100 mile radius. And, and that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, and I think it's fair and appropriate to give give uh, the National Response Center a good idea this is, as to the scope of your release. A lot of people seem to be unfamiliar with their process. They 
they say that someone in their corporate headquarters makes these calls. And so they make a call, and then they really don't know where it goes from there, and it's different all the time. Uh, I'm going to talk kind of briefly about the oil spill world and what generally happens because so many of the, at least in the United States, so many of the vessels that are transiting through the United States are foreign flag. And they've got a vessel response plan that's been written by a company in the United States. And they make one call and hope that it all gets taken care of. And what happens is a, a captain will call the first number in his plan, which is to a qualified individual. Now the qualified individual, is maybe it's a company employee, maybe it's uh, someone that's contracted through an organization like the O'Brien's group or, or someone like that, where you get a 24-hour phone number and you talk to a duty officer or you talk to, like I said, a, a company employee, and you make your reporting. And the qualified individual is somebody who's been designated in writing and is able to mobilize equipment and authorize funds for response on behalf of the spiller. And that's a really important thing because you're, you're beginning to mobilize equipment which is expensive. And people need to know that uh, the bills are going to be paid. And so that qualified individual gets the ball rolling. Often, the qualified individual or um, someone in that organization will then make all of the rest of the federal and state notifications on behalf of the ship. But if you can't get a hold of the qualified individual for some reason, that doesn't relieve the captain of his responsibility to make that call to the National Response Center. And so what I tell people when we're doing training on these subjects is get confirmation from the qualified individual when you call them that they are indeed going to make these notifications. Set a, a callback schedule with them to say, hey, you'll call me back as soon as those are done and give me the report number that's issued to you by the National Response Center so that I can put that in my log. And um, if you, if some of these notifications don't take place, you'll get back to me with that as well. So there's so many different ways. And I think what's important for, for captains of ships, supervisors at facilities is to really understand what their particular company's process is going to be so that they can follow it. Absolutely. So whoever writes the plan has to do, um, should do some legwork and try to get the uh, current reporting information and what those threshold quantities are and what the time limitations are and, and organize all of that. And who needs to be notified? Who are you legally required to be notified? And that takes quite a bit of planning and, and preparation. And once that's in place, um, then it's the responsibility of the spiller to make the notifications, whether you contract it out or delegate it to someone on shore or um, make sure one of your employees does it. It's the responsibility of the, that corporation, that entity, or, or the spiller, I guess we could say, um, to make those notifications. So you have to verify. Like, like everything else, it doesn't always go like clockwork. Um, I think it, it works uh, well most of the time, but um, it is the responsibility of the spiller and of the person who's, who is releasing the chemical or the entity that's releasing the chemical to make all of these notifications. I think that's really covers what I was hoping to talk about. Any follow-up that you can think of? No, that sounds good. 
it's it's an area that deserves some care and uh and I think we've we've done a decent job at, at uh uh basically giving a rough idea in a short amount of time. The last thing I would say on the subject is to drill on this. I mean, you're required to ha conduct notification drills under your facility or vessel response plan. Involve all of the people who have the potential for making these calls. Your shift supervisors, your plant managers, actually call the National Response Center. Say this is a notification drill. They're going to ask you whether you simply want the last name of the duty officer for verification or whether you want them to walk you through the entire process by asking you questions going down their check sheet. Tell them you want to go through the entire process. And then with all of your personnel who can be involved in this present, go down the drill scenario, answering their questions, and then getting a confirmation number at the end so that when the time actually comes and one of your people is in the hot seat and alarm bells are going off and people's blood pressure is starting to rise, they are not intimidated by making these calls. People do what they train to do. And if what you train them to do is simply uh, say to somebody sitting next to them at a safety meeting, okay, we, if this happened, we would make the notifications, they are going to be completely dumbfounded when the time actually comes. And to have a release that's going and you're not sure what's happening in your facility and be making a notification call for the first time is just, that's just foolish. Um, you want to take as much of the unknown out of the situation as possible, and I agree completely, is is make your call. And you'll see on in the National Response Center website, they're set up to handle calls that are drills. They're, they expect it. All you have to say is, I'm calling to report a hazardous substance release. This is a drill. And they, they'll ask right away, okay, do you just need my name or do you need a report number and have to go through the whole thing? Just like you were saying, Dan, and, and it, they're used to doing it. They're not offended by doing it. I'm sure they like when facilities do it so that the, those facilities are prepared. So, And uh, you're required to do it by federal <clears throat> law. You have to make have, conduct notification drills. Under Open 90, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so it, it's really important, and uh, it really takes a lot of the scariness out of it. I think once I've, I've seen rooms full of people, we go through a call on a speakerphone, and it really isn't that bad. But you sure wouldn't want to be doing it at oh, dark 30 uh, when you have some ongoing release and uh, you don't even know what you have to, what information you should have ready, and just have someone asking you questions stone cold. So that practice um, isn't all emergency training is is really important. The other way you can make these notifications, it says on their website, is to use their their online reporting service and fill out the form, and then they say they'll get back to you within 15 minutes. It takes forever to fill this form out. You're going to end up talking to them on the telephone 15 minutes from now anyway. Just call them on the phone. The, the web thing just takes way too much time. Well, that's it. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of Spot on Safety. We hope to talk to you again next week. Thank you for taking your time out of your day, Amy. I know this is your busy season. Thanks, Dan. It was fun. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Spot on Safety. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, you can email us. The address is spotonsafety at iworklife.com.